Welcome to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Scott Lauber. I'm Bob Brookover. And uh, we are uh, Matt Breenless this week. He's uh, man Matt, down, man down, man down. Yeah, Matt is uh, somewhere on I-75 between Clearwater and Fort Myers. He's wearing out that highway. I think this week. It's a wonderful drive, though, for those of us who have made it. It's a very entertaining uh, drive. You see trees. It is lovely. Yeah. The uh, the rest stop at Punta Gorda is uh, a favorite of mine. It's to die for. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. The the um, the the facilities there are tremendous, and uh, you know I'm sure Matt has used uh, uh, every rest stop along the way because the Phillies are playing back to back games there this week they played the twins and uh they're playing the red Sox, and so it's a busy week um, yes you know fort myers one of the few cities with two baseball teams <laughs> it is and they play uh they play six miles apart yeah. uh, i mean uh, six minutes apart basically like a mile and a half apart on a highway the thing is if you if you want to get from one ballpark to the other it could take you like 45 minutes because the traffic there is brutal that is called spring tra- spring break traffic Spring training and spring break traffic, yeah. Yes. And there are also, like, it's like a mile and a half stretch on, on a highway, and there's, like, three publics in between. So that's the good news, right? If you're sitting in traffic, you can stop at all three of them and, uh, and stock up on whatever you need. Sounds good. Yeah. Anyhow. Mo- moving on. <laughs> moving on. Um, let's, uh, let's start, Bob, by talking about, I don't know, what I think is – maybe the biggest story in camp. It's been kind of a quiet Phillies camp. And yet um, this JT Real Muto uh, contract extension is still hanging out there. Uh, We know last week the Phillies and Real Muto went to Arizona for an arbitration hearing. The Phillies won. Uh, So Real Muto will make $10 million this year as opposed to 12.4. But I always sort of thought that was just like whatever that was the appetizer to the main course which is will they be able to extend him before the season starts and i've got my doubts um you know how do you sort of feel about whether or not they can get something done here before uh march 26th i'm i'm with you on this um i just think that you know there were it didn't seem like a lot of money they were far off what was it 10 million and 12.4 um, yeah. He gets 10, but you know, everything we've heard is that it was a very hard line negotiation that the, you know, the, the, the agent was not going to budge on that 12.4 because he has, you know, and JT as well. And JT's kind of alluded to it that, you know, this is not just about him. This is about future catchers. And they feel like catchers have always been shortchanged in the, in the market, which they have been, and especially a catcher like JT is not your normal catcher. He's going to catch you 140 games a year, as opposed to most catchers, you know, really good ones between 110, 120. This guy's different. Um, And, you know, so much goes into that different because the Phillies can look at that as, yeah, he catches 140 games, but that means, you know, he could wear out sooner. They're obviously not going to say that, but, if you're if you're negotiating, you you have to at least think that. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a tough negotiation, and I I just don't think there's enough time between now and the season to get something done. Now, will something get done during the season? You know, a lot of times guys say I don't want to negotiate during the season, and they stick to that. And there's other times where 
all right, it's June or it's the all-star break. Let's revisit this right now and maybe something get done. You know, I, I've always maintained that the X factor is, is John Middleton because he loves this guy. This guy has a wrestling background. John Middleton obviously loves wrestling, but he's also a businessman. But I just don't think John Middleton's going to let this guy leave, but it's just not going to be easy to get to the, the, the final numbers. Yeah, I thought it was telling last week that when JT came back to camp, he missed a day um, for the hearing. When he came back, he was taking batting practice on the main field at Spectrum Field, and John Middleton was standing right next to the batting cage waiting for him to get done and actually walked with JT from one field to the next, uh, from one drill to the next, and uh, they were talking quite a bit. And, you know, I mean, to be a fly on the wall, but, I mean, my interpretation was, you know, hey, look, you know, we want to make sure you know that that was strictly business. And when it comes to an extension, we really want to keep you. Now, how far will they go? And, you know, in talking to, to Real Muto's agent, Jeff Berry, last weekend, um, you know, they're, they're pretty ticked off about how the arbitration process went, not so much at the Phillies, but more at the process in general. You know, you, you alluded to it. You know, he plays 140 games a year. And he's actually penalized for that in the arbitration process because catchers are compared to catchers. And their whole argument was this guy should be compared with other players, regardless of position. So they look at his first five years and they look at Anthony Rendon's first five years and they see comparable players there, comparable hitters. And that's the case they tried to make. And ultimately, the Phillies and Major League Baseball labor relations who sit on the other side of the table said, yeah, but you know, this is how it's always been done, catchers to catchers. And ultimately, the, the panel agreed. And, um, you know, he said, you know, he still set in losing, he still set a record for the highest salary by a catcher in his third year of arbitration. But that's not really what Real Muto and the agent were going for. And I, I wonder, and I couldn't get a straight answer on this, but I, I don't see any reason why um, their stance would be any different when it comes to extension talks. Like, they're not going to, they're not going to go for like the Yasmani Grandal deal, um, which was, I think, what, four years and 70 million? Somewhere you know, there. They have their eye. Yeah, they have their eye on. And they're, they're not even interested, I, I don't think, in stopping it at Joe Maurer's $23 million average annual value record for a catcher. Like, they look at it and they go, well, last year, same time, two years older, one year from free agency, Paul Goldschmidt signed a five year, $130 million extension. Why not JT Real Muto? And if they're going to take that stance and the Phillies are going to dig in on catchers to catchers, well, I don't know that they can come up with a deal by, by March 26th or, or maybe even at all before he reaches free agency. Yes to five years and $125 million. They might even say yes to six years and $150 million, uh, which would, would set that AAV market, you know, it would put it at $25 million, you know, and they, they can make that case fairly because – you know, um, uh, Ramuto is a little bit older than Maurer was when he got his $23 million a year. I think it ended up being eight, yeah. eight, eight, and, yes. eight and 180, somewhere around there. Um, but, you know, it, it, and that would be a fair deal for a catcher. And if he's willing to take that, I think it could get done quickly. But it's all going to be a matter of how, how each side wants to look at that and whether they can come to a – to a middle ground. Uh, and, and again, I just don't think however many days there are to opening day, roughly a little more than a month to opening day, four or five weeks to opening day, that that can get done. But we shall see. 
Yeah, we shall. And there are risks here on both sides. Um, you know, if JT Real Muto decides not to sign an extension, goes into his walk year and either A, gets hurt or B, does not have a good year, well, then, you know, his value on the open market is going to be less than what it would be today. If uh, the Phillies say, well, we're not going to bid against ourselves and give him more than we have to, uh, we will let him go to the open market and then we will make a fair offer and we will see if we can get him. Well, they run the risk of somebody outbidding them. So risks on both sides and incentive on both sides to get something done. And now we've got four weeks or so until opening day. And as you said, it doesn't have to happen by then. If he's open to if both sides are open to keeping this going, they can do that. Uh, but, you know, opening day is sort of an artificial deadline that's out there, and, and maybe they get something done, maybe they don't. So we'll sort of see how that plays out. Um, something else, Bob, that's, that's kind of got my attention, and I, I think we're going to be talking about this a lot over the next few weeks, is the infield and the configuration of the infield, specifically Gene Segura, who, you know, is a shortstop, naturally, had a, a really good year at second base for the Diamondbacks in 2015, but until this spring, has never played third. And he's playing exclusively third base right now. Um, you, know, he's, you know, I think it's sort of obvious the Phillies want him to be their third baseman and keep Scott Kingery at second. And the, you know, the next few weeks are about how comfortable Segura looks over there and does he want to do it. Um, you know, uh, what's your read on, I guess, you know, how long they can go here before they have to make a decision and, and – Will Segura be at third or, or at second on opening day? It almost, and I know we're really early in spring training, uh, especially the Grapefruit League games, but it almost seems like the decision has been made. <laughs> uh, when, you, when you read Joe Girardi's quotes uh, about, you know, how Gene is looking at third, third base, you know, he's, wow, he's doing great. Uh, they really want, you know, it, it's clear that they really want him to be the third baseman which I don't blame them because, you know, it's, they went two years without being able to play Scott Kingery at his natural position. And I think, you know, the feeling has to be that let's see what Scott Kingery can do offensively if he's really just comfortable in one position in the field. Um, and, you know, the, the last time Gene Segura played a different position was second base with the Diamondbacks. He had an, the best season of his life. Um, that was at second base. Let's, you know, he's obviously an infielder. If he's willing to do it, he's got a good enough glove. Um, and actually, uh, last year, the thing that he lacked probably more than anything was range. Um, so, I mean, he's got good enough hands to play third base. You know, there's obviously instincts there. You know, Girardi talked about it a little bit, how, how he went after some balls that were actually DD's balls at, at shortstop because, you know, it was just a natural instinct for him to, to go after everything. Um, but it just seems to me like they want him to be the third baseman. And if Segura is willing to be the third baseman, then, Hey, you know, their lineup's pretty much set going to going, well, going South as it is this year to to Miami. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you said it, I think this, doesn't this have as much to do or more with Scott Kingery than it does with Gene Segura, right? I think that they look at the, the, Kingery and, and Didi Gregorius as being potentially dynamic. And uh, it's not that Segura makes them all that much less dynamic. It's just that, you know, you said it after bouncing Kingery around the field for a couple of years, you know, there is this idea. I mean, Joe Girardi seems to want to do something that Gabe Kapler never did, which is 
put Kingery at one position and leave him there. And if you're going to do that, let it be his natural position. Let it be second base. I, I, did a, I talked to some people in the offseason about you know, Kingery, his, his college coach at Arizona, and some scouts who've watched him play over the years. And you know, I asked each of them, like, if you had to put Scott Kingery at one position, where would it be? Second base. And so for yeah, me, this well, is what this is all about. It, it is. Well, I think it's about one other thing, too, because eventually you're going to want to move him to second base anyway. If you, if you really think Alec Baum is going to be your third baseman of the future, uh, why have him play there now and then have to plug Alec Baum? Why not just get him to second base now? Um, you know, there, there's still things to figure out to get Baum at third base because Segura's contract doesn't run out after this year. And he's going to be unless you're going to eat some of his money, he's going to be a tough guy to trade. Um, so, which maybe ends up happening, but we're getting too far ahead of ourselves there to go back to Kingery for a second. I saw Kingery play six times, I think, uh, the year before he, he came to the big leagues, you know, some at Reading, some at uh, Lehigh Valley, and he was an incredible second baseman. I, one of my favorite stories to this day is I watched him make so many plays, and then one, one day I was there, I was working on some other story besides Scott Kingery, and you know, I I went to go to the bathroom and there's the, there's somebody else. Oh my gosh! And that's what happened. Because <laughs> Scott Kingery has made a great play, and somebody's like, ah, I've seen that before. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So he just made him all the time at second base. He's really, I think he's going to be a really terrific second baseman, and I do think it's going to make him more comfortable at the plate. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think it has to, you know, to know that you're coming to the ballpark every day and you know exactly where you're going to play and you don't have to think about it. And, you know, the incredible thing about him is he wasn't, he wasn't a second baseman from day one at Arizona either. Um, he played the outfield his freshman right. and, and sophomore years. And, right. and then there were times when, I mean, Kevin Newman was the kid at shortstop and there were times when they thought like maybe Kingery was even a better shortstop than Kevin Newman. And then, as a junior, he played second base, and it was like, oh, my gosh, this guy's terrific. Let's keep him. Uh, what were we doing all this time? You know, so uh, I think the Phillies definitely want to see that play out. And hold, hold that thought on Bohm and how he factors into all this because we'll, we'll get back to that before we're done here. But, um, you know, you Ooh, raise I, smell, I smell question of the day coming up you, in it, little, our future. That's anyway. what we call – this is what we call in the business a tease. That, that is a tease. That, that is to stay with us until the end. So, literary, literary people call it foreshadowing. <laughs> that's right. Foresh- but we're not, we're not being literary right now, right? We're, in the, we're sort of broadcasters right now. That's true. As scary as that is. Yeah, it's frightening. Given our, given our intense broadcast training. Um, <laughs> and anyhow, um, let's, let's move to a, another area of spring training where, um, boy, you know, I sit off the top, it's a quiet camp. And, and it is, but at least relative to, like, what's going on in – in Houston's camp or Yankees camp with guys getting hurt every day. But for a team that's got a payroll of over $200 million, there's an awful lot of competition that's going to be going on here in the next few weeks for, for some roster spots. And I think probably the highest profile one is the number five starter. Um, you know, we look at rotations and, you know, who's one, two, three, four, five. And, you know, I think we feel pretty good. Well, we, we feel really good about knowing who one, two, and three is. It's Nola, Wheeler, Arietta. Four, I still have a strong feeling is going to be Zach Eflin. So that leaves number five. And it's, you know, it's Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez, Ranger Suarez, maybe Cole Irvin, although he's probably more of a dark horse. Um, 
but I want to focus on Velasquez and Pavetta. They've each made one start. Um, you can put as much or as little stock in how they did as you want to. I don't put a whole lot in, especially the first time around. Uh, but, you know, they both talked about adjustments they've made. Pavetta, um, you know, I saw him pitch against the Tigers last Saturday in Lakeland, and he talked a lot about wanting to use his changeup, which is something he said to me earlier in the offseason as well. Um, he feels like, you know, fastball, curveball, that's great. But if he's going to be an effective starting pitcher, he needs a much better third pitch, and he thinks that could be his changeup. Velasquez has talked about, you know, wanting to keep the ball down more, and that's been a common theme of a lot of Phillies pitchers in camp. How do you sort of handicap this this fifth starter competition, especially as it relates to to Velasquez and Pavetta? You know, it's, it's really different or difficult to differentiate between the two because they've had, you know, they both have incredible arms, uh, tremendous velocity, um, can throw, uh, you know, at times a great breaking ball, but have just never been able to put it all together in some consistent fashion, you know, they'll, they'll show spurts. Uh, you'll say, wow, if they could just bottle that. They, they'd be, they wouldn't be fighting for a fifth starters job. They'd be a one or a two. Uh, but that's the difference between great pitchers and guys who are battling for the fifth spot in the rotation. I, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to handicap it. it it's gonna, I do think it's just, you know, and Joe Girardi has said this, it's a competition. He's also said, you know, these first couple starts don't really matter. You know, after those first couple starts, though, one of the interesting things that you don't always hear managers say about spring training is results matter. Um, and, you know, a lot of times they, they want to say, well, it's just what we see. It's not about the results. But Joe said results matter. And in that sense, it's going to be a fascinating battle when, you know, when we get another week or two into spring training here to see how those guys do each time they go, go out, you know, for Vinny, it's going to be interesting to see if he, you know, he's one thing about his first start was his pitch count was way down. I think he's through 17. Yeah. In two innings. Um, yep. So, yeah. And I think he said uh, that that was shocking or, or something to that effect, kind of making light of the fact that, you know, he's the classic four innings, 70 or 80 pitch guy. I, I, here I'm, glad he was. He, I'm glad he said it. So we didn't have to write it. Cause we, you know, we, uh, yeah. I, yeah, and, you know, I, I think I had a lead last year after he pitched like four innings, he'd thrown four innings and thrown 99 pitch. He had that he, he had 99 pitches and we had 99 problems and his pitch count was number one. Uh, right. So I remember that. Uh, so that, that was typical Vinny. You know, if he can somehow keep that pitch count down and get through six, seven innings, just something he hasn't been able to do. That's what he's got to prove he can do. And then. Pavetta has to show some kind of consistency. He's right. He does have to develop a third pitch because there's too many times where he gets hit hard and because somebody who has his arm should not get hit nearly as hard as he gets hit uh, or give up as many hits as he gives up. Yeah, but I do think Joe Girardi's going to watch this competition and Brian Price even, even more so and say, hey, show me something here in, in, in the Grapefruit League. What, your, your season begins right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. And it's not just the two of them. I mean, it's, it's Ranger Suarez who does something that none of these other guys do, which is throw with his left hand. And the Phillies have not had a left-handed starter. Well, I mean, look, they had Vargas and Smiley last year, right? But prior right. to that, right. you got to go back to Adam Morgan at the end of 
what was that 17 or uh, 16 so i mean look you know uh he's gonna have he's gonna factor in i mentioned cole irvin um you know at some point spencer howard will be part of this conversation not yet not now um i hate to bring up your two favorite words load management but that's really what they're doing with howard right now trying to figure out how to maximize however many innings he's going to be able to give them this year uh, at the big league level. So at some point he's going to factor in here and, you know, it's just, you know, every, every few days when one of these guys pitches, it's going to now, now that they're through the rotation one time, these results are going to start to matter more and more. And I think you're right. Like, I think Girardi's going to, you know, focus more on, on, on the results and how they did rather than just, you know, so-and-so was out there working on his changeup today. You know, you're going to have to start getting outs with that changeup if you're Nick Pavetta. You're going to have to start to, you know, um, uh, you're going to have to duplicate the efficiency that Vince Velasquez showed in his first start. So, um, and, and this is a difficult time to evaluate. You know, it's spring training. You're not facing complete lineups. You're, you know, if you're, if you're pitching at home, chances are, you know, the team that you're playing has sent a bunch of its, of its bench guys or its minor league guys. So, it's a difficult time to evaluate it, and it's kind of a difficult time to, to know what's going on with anyone. But these two guys in particular, you know, Velasquez, Pavetta, we've seen enough of a body of work from them. You, you know if, if it's gotten better or worse, and they're going to have to both show that they've gotten considerably well, I, I, better. I think a good thing, Scott, too, is that um, the two eyes you have, or the, the four eyes you have looking at these guys are – Joe Girardi, who knows what he's looking at when he's watching a pitcher throw, uh, and Brian Price, who knows what he's looking at when he watches a pitcher throw. You know, these two guys have a ton of experience. They, they're, gonna, they're going to realize uh, what they're seeing, and that, you know, I think it should be comforting to Phillies fans that those are two guys making this decision. You know, the, the, th- the other thing I find interesting, going back to Suarez here for a second, is Joe started touting him in the offseason, you know. Is, yeah. So I, I do think he wants a lefty in his rotation at some point. You know, let's face it, they, they really haven't had a lefty in their rotation since Cole Hamels. Uh, right. You know, the consistent that he could count on all year. So Ranger is going to be interesting to watch too. And, and as we often talk about, you know, we, we talk about this competition for the fifth starter they're going to need eight to 10 to 12 to 15 by the time yeah. the season's over. So we're, we'll probably be talking about all these guys at some point. I have no doubt. So let's, before we get to our question of the week, let's touch on, I think the topic that uh, everybody back home was fixated on last weekend, the new look fanatic, which uh, to my eyes looks a lot like the normal old uh, familiar fanatic, Bob. What what did you think about um, the fanatics? What I called not so extreme makeover. Now, now we've gotten to something I've got a lot of passion about. I know a lot about mascots. I've ranked mascots over the years. Yuppie was number one for a long time. Orange, of tri- orange trilingual. You know, he, he spoke English, uh, French, and you know, if people forget that the Expos played home games in Puerto Rico at one point, he learned to speak Spanish. <laughs> and two sports now. Now the Canadians' mascot, brilliant mascot. I just want to say, but but back to the fanatic. Uh, another topic here. So we just we sat in the press box together on Sunday, and I kept asking yeah. you, are those eyelashes different? <laughs> well, they. You were wrong. I was right. Those eyelashes are different. They're like a they're like a more Miamiish uh, vibe color. I don't okay. Know, 
I, I, I don't, I'm not very good at You're describing You're talking about colors. the lashes now. You're talking about not the, the lashes Not the now, eyes. Not the, the eyes are stars instead of clouds, okay. as you pointed out to me. But then the lashes are different, like a more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. For teal? lack of a better, no, not teal, but like that, one of those Miami type colors. Oh, yeah. Midnight you know. blue or whatever they call it. Wh- they whatever. Have names for all of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know any of them, to, to be honest. No, me um, neither. So, but. Bre- uh, of the three of us, Breen is the uniform guy. So yeah. I have no doubt if he was here, he'd know exactly he'd, he'd what shade of blue well, we were. Yeah. Yeah. We, we had to get to the fanatic to find a part where we finally missed Matt Breen in this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, it was it was interesting to see him be a little different. But he's not too much different. But I'll, I'll tell you my favorite part of the whole fanatic thing. So the fanatic thing made me go talk to to Phil Goslin because I figured let's go talk to a guy who grew up with the fanatic. He's he grew up in Westchester, was born in Bryn Mawr. Um, so I said, you know, what do what do you think? And he said, yeah, yeah. He said, I'm, I, I've been following it. The lawsuit's interesting. Uh, I said, well, you ever did you ever have an encounter with the fanatic? Um, and he said, well, kind of, he said, you know, my, when I was, when my mom was pregnant with me, the fanatic came up to her and rubbed her belly. Um, so this, this <laughs> led to me doing intense, intense research. So I wanted to, I wanted to find out, um, if any other Phillies named Phil had ever had their bellies rub mothers have ever had their bellies <laughs> rub so i discovered that phil gossam became the 10th phil named phil in the history of the franchise last season which i found absolutely That's, fascinating yes that i would have gone uh over on that number yeah i would have it's not like it's too. such a weird name or anything and, and if you wanted to you could call you could say philippe amont was a Phil, but I didn't count him because that's French and I don't count that. Uh, it doesn't convert to Phil in, I don't know, whatever, in English dollars, uh, in American dollars. But there are 10 Phils named Phil I found fascinating. And the most fascinating of Phils named Phil, the last one was Phil Klein. Um, there was a Phil Collins. And okay, not to be confused with the, the Phil Collins. The drummer, not right. to be confused. But my favorite was Phil Lefty Weiner. Uh, who wasn't nearly as good as Steve Lefty Carlton. He pitched with the Phillies from 1919 to 1924. But he's the only Phil named Phil who was born in Philadelphia. <laughs> and just a little side note, he's, he was buried in Cinnamons in New Jersey in the same cemetery where my father is buried. That's all I know about Phil's, and that's all I know about the Philly fanatic. Anyway, I mean, I mean, honestly, people, where else do you get this? <laughs> where else would you want to go for this? Where else do you get this? And you can read all about that in Extra Innings, the newsletter. This is called cross-promotion in the bit. See, we did a tease, and this is cross-promotion. Uh, Extra Innings, the newsletter, which comes into your inbox every uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday in spring training and every day, weekday, during this Philly season. So uh, Bob got into ex- ex- extensive uh, uh, in-depth uh, on Phil Gosselin, the fanatic, the Phil, all of that. Um, in the last extra innings newsletter. So seriously, like th- this is content you can't get anywhere else. Um, no, my takeaway was the fanatic is just fine. I mean, look, I, I was more, um, I was more interested in the weight shift. Uh, it's kind of gone from like the frontal area of the belly to more of the uh, rear. 
Um, so, you know, that was interesting to me. I, I just, I just don't see that much of a difference to be honest with you. I really don't. So, uh, what did Bryce Harper say the other day? Everyone needs a little glam up every now and then. Yeah. So I could, I could use a glam up, but it's probably oh, not yeah. coming at this stage of my life. Well, you know what? Don't give up hope. Don't All right. Give up hope. Thanks for those. Um, thanks for that. Those words of encouragement, Scott. Of course. Of <laughs> course. Uh, and it's also, look, I mean, if you're of a certain age, right, it's not the first time the fanatics changed a little bit. I mean, I, 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 last year for a project I was working on, I was talking to Dave Raymond, who, um, who was the you know, first fanatic. And he said that back in the day, the fanatic was a different shade of green. So look, I mean, it's not, it's not the first time. And I think I, I honestly, like if you haven't seen it, uh, it's not going to look a whole lot different to you. Right. That's true. The, the woman I talked to in the stands that day said, I was just afraid it was going to come out of the green gritty. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's not. Um, let's wrap things up with our uh, mailbag question of the week. This comes from Ben Q on Twitter. And he asks, uh, does Segura at third base suggest the Phillies don't think Alec Bohm will be ready for a while? And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll make this quick here because we're kind of up against it. But, you know, this is the third piece to all of this. We'll talk about, we've talked about Segura and Kingery. Well, they, they do expect Alec Bohm to be in the big leagues at some point this season. And if and when he is, he's going to play third base. So um, I, I don't know that this suggests that uh, they are any less encouraged by his progress. I, I just think they're going to need a third baseman on opening day. It's not going to be Alec Bohm. Uh, but it does raise the question of what do they do if everyone's healthy and playing well and Alec Bohm's ready to come up? Um, how do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, it's, it's the, the most fascinating. It would be a great problem for them to have. Everybody's playing well. Alec Bohm's ripping it, uh, tearing it apart at Lehigh Valley. And now you got to find a place for him. Um, you know, that that's probably not how it's going to unfold. Uh, probably how it's going to unfold is that somebody gets hurt and they, and if Alec Bohm's playing well, let's move this piece here. And maybe Scott Henry comes back and do it. He moves to center because one of those guys out there got hurt or Segura yeah. moves to second. That That's probably how it's more likely going to happen. Him, him not, you know, the question being, is, does this mean they don't think he's going to be there for a while? You know, it all depends on your definition of a while. If a while, to you means the middle of the season, then he's going to be here in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's coming at some point, um, especially if he continues to do what he did last year. And it seems like he's finding his power stroke the longer he stays in professional baseball. And, you know, it happens with so many guys, you know, they, they, they mature. And, you know, by the time they get to the big leagues, they're ready. They've learned how to be home run hitters, uh, you know, by, by just playing professional baseball. Um, you know, Alec Bohm's going to be here, how he gets here, what he's going to be. I, you know, this is a point to raise too. Um, Reese Hoskins had a horrible second half last year. Uh, if his first two months resemble his last two months of last season, you know, Alec Bohm's the only other position he's played in the, in the minor leagues has been first base. First base. Yep. So, I mean, that's, there's a lot of different ways Alec Bohm could get to the big leagues. Um, all he has to do is go take care of business at Triple A Lehigh Valley. 
Yeah, I agree. And, and uh, you know, like, like you said, to answer uh, the question, Ben's question here, no, I don't think Segura at third has anything to do with Bohm. Uh, the puzzle pieces will fit somehow. And, and one thing we know is that all things don't go as planned. Injuries happen, underperformance happens, and you have to adjust. So if they get to June, like you said, and Alec Bohm is the International League MVP through two months of the season – and everyone in the Phillies lineup is healthy and productive, well, they'll deal with that. Um, they'll be happy to deal with that problem. But, uh, no, I think it's two separate things here. Like I said, someone has to play third on opening day. It's not going to be Alec Baum. It's going to be either Kingery or Segura. And right now they want it to be Segura. So if it works out that way, that's, that's how it'll go. Well, I think that, that does it for this week, uh, Bob. Um, I don't know how we got uh, through without Matt Breen. Is it, is I don't need it. I don't either. I don't either. But I'm going to call him up right now and beg him to come back. So oh, hopefully right. he gets. Please, Matt, come back. Come back. We need hopefully, you. Hopefully he gets off I-75 at some point soon. It's like, you know, it's so. Anyhow, he will be back with us next week. And uh, we thank you for joining us. Please check out all of our work at Inquirer.com and in the pages of the Philadelphia Inquirer. Until then, for Bob Brookover, I'm Scott Lauber. Have a good one.